in the name of the Father and of the Son. Amen. The British composer Edgar Bainton was a one-hit wonder. His contemporaries were all the great Victorian composers of the 19th, late 19th, early 20th century. And there isn't an English-speaking choir of any substance worth its salt of any denomination that hasn't sung Bainton's biggest hit. In fact, if you Google Bainton, you'll get 150 hits, and 147 of them will be the one anthem that he's remembered for and forget all the symphonies and other things that he wrote along the way. And that one anthem will be, And I Saw a New Heaven and a New Earth. And that text comes from the book of Revelation, which we have this morning. Then I saw a new heaven, and for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the older things have passed away. Now, I usually stay away from the book of Revelation because that dude was smoking some pretty heavy weed. <laughs> but this passage, probably because I love Baton's anthem, really moves me. You might recall that it inspired the theme for the vestments that I created for the 150th anniversary. But more importantly, it connects with the central window in the south transept. It is a vision of hope in the midst of pain and suffering and in the terrible reality sometimes in which we live. The reality in this case of a black man hanging on a lamppost on which the street sign reads bigot and greed. And behind the mystical language of John, there is a recollection of creation, that time when all things were in order, and there was no sin in the world, and the garden was plentiful, and all creatures were happy. And then came evil into the world, the image in the upper window, through Adam's sin. And humanity has inflicted suffering and pain ever since. And God has been greatly grieved. And God tried to purify his creation by sending a great flood. 
but he saved his creatures by telling Noah to build the ark. And in that flood, the world was made fresh. But we know the outcome. The outcome was that humankind reverted to its old ways. Then God tried through the prophets to redeem the world, but humankind didn't listen. And then God tried through his son. He sent his own son, but we hanged him on a lamppost because he threatened the way we viewed the world. But God was not daunted. He raised his son from death on the third day so that we might know that God's love for us is stronger than humankind's greatest fear, the fear of death, oblivion, isolation, separation from God, and meaninglessness. And this is the great mythical story and I mean myth in its true sense, not as we've perverted it in contemporary language to mean something that's untrue, but meaning not literal, but expressing in metaphorical language truly human experience. The story of creation is about human experience in my daily life. When I'm hurt, why I hate, when I commit sin, why I feel isolated. When I face illness and death, I am frightened. These are the realities that we share as human creatures. Loved by God, we have trouble comprehending and afraid to believe what he has promised us. And that is exactly what the apostles felt when Jesus appeared to them in, after the resurrection. The myth continues, and the world continues to be subject to the evils that humankind imposes on itself. And that is the great truth behind the myth. But the other part of the myth that we easily forget is that God continues to show us a better way. And the myth carries that great and wondrous truth. This is why I connect with this mystical vision of John. Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be with their God. Even to the end of time, God will not give up on us. And that is the key to understanding the myth and to bring about the kingdom. The kingdom is not heaven in the sense of place. It is about bringing about a new creation, restoring that relationship with God. It's about the willingness to allow ourselves the same vulnerability which Christ experienced in giving himself up on the cross. So when Jesus says in today's gospel, love one another even as I have loved you, what he is really talking about is the ancient myth. Humankind will always be bound by the same problem. 
We are always subject to evil and do evil to others because we do not firstly want to believe that we were and are loved for eternity. And so we are given in John this wonderful vision of hope. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there is no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Some would say the imagery, that smoky imagery, of the new Jerusalem and the bride beautifully dressed for, their, for her husband are the references, symbolic references of the church, and that may be. But I think it's more important to point out that we, that we, before we leave this myth, that is, how do we translate the myth into our daily lives and actions? For that, I take you back to the window. If we take seriously Christ's words to love even as I have loved you, we have to consider his act of inclusion, of pity, of embracing the outcast, eating with the socially unacceptable, all acts which, can, which ran against the grain of the community in which he lived and by which he daily made himself vulnerable. The Gospels are filled with stories of Jesus' unacceptable behavior. So look at the center lower panel as you come to communion this morning. And think about where we are as a society when we exclude immigrants, when we worry about what bathrooms transgender people will use, or when our political system prevents some of our people from voting because of their color or having access to health care. Do I need to continue the list or have you been hearing it persistently on television? How do we usher in the kingdom? It only happens when we are willing to accept that we are loved firstly. And to do any less than to believe all humankind shares that abounding love is to deny that very principle on which our faith is founded. This is a bit of an aside, but I think it's important to say. Our creed is really based on the structural elements of that same great myth that same basic truth. And some of us at times cross our fingers when we say certain passages we feel obligated to state vocally, but which challenge, our, uh, challenge us intellectually. But if we think of that statement, of the base, is the basic elements of that great myth, that great truth, in which we live and find strength daily, which carries in its foundation God's underlying love and desire for us and for his creation. Maybe we can then stand now with me and say, we believe in one God, 